Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham, and today we have Emily on the show. Emily is a home birth mother of three. She chose to birth her third baby outside of the regulated midwifery model when she realized it wasn't meeting her needs in a COVID landscape. Her pregnancy, birth, NICU experience, and postpartum were deep lessons in intuition and finding her own way through. Enjoy the show. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wherever you would like to begin your lovely story. All right. Um, So I'm going to be telling the story of Yulin's birth, or Yuli as we call him. Um, He is my third baby and my third home birth. Um. And uh, I knew I wanted to have home births before I was ever pregnant um, because I am in a little bit of a unique situation and not entirely unique, but a little unique in that my mother was a home birth mom um, and also a labor and delivery nurse. So I actually grew up in a culture of positive birth Um, and never really doubted my ability to birth my own babies and never felt like it was a need to have a medical professional present ever. Um, That said, I still had a lot of, a lot, I mean, of unpacking to do from a sort of a cultural standpoint that while at home, I had this beautiful, um, supportive, unconscious sort of natural birth environment, you know, as soon as you walk out the door or go to the movies, you're just bombarded with all these negative images. And so my, my, with my first and my second, I did have, um, very medically minded midwives present. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say anything bad about them. They were absolutely lovely. And they were what I wanted at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I actually referred to the first one um, as a lifeguard, I wanted her there just in case something went amiss. Um, and nothing did. And she did very little. And I thank her for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that said, um, I also learned from the first experience, especially that, um, I don't want to do things entirely alone either. Um, I had a really hard time breastfeeding my first and she was such a wonderful support. She literally came to my house like almost every day for days 
until we had it figured out and we were all okay. Um, and that kind of support, I, I just, I think everybody should have it. And it makes me really sad that they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. So both my first two pregnancies were, were really, really intentional conscious choices. And, and we made sure that we had the environment and the funds to do it the way we wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and with my second, I, um, I live in North Carolina and I birthed her in a state where licensed midwifery is legal, which was not the case with my first. And I was really excited to be able to have a licensed midwife. Um, I was not aware of some of the, um, limitations on the scope of her practice that came with a license Mm -hmm. and that later came to be a bit of a problem. Um, and, uh, I, she, she was real chill and she probably would have made exceptions for me because that's who she is. Um, and that's, and she believes in women and their ability to birth. Um, but I don't know how far she would have taken it either. And I, I feel really fortunate that I was never in a position where, where she had to make a choice between me and her license. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a result, I very naively went through my whole pregnancy and birth, not knowing that she might have to leave me, Um, even though I was technically geriatric because I was 35 at the time I delivered. (laughs) Um, And uh, I was a bleeder, so to speak. Um, I, I definitely, looking back at the first pictures of my first birth, had pretty good amount of bleeding. But that midwife, Layla, um, was never mentioned the word hemorrhage and never acted concerned in any way. I actually do remember feeling a little lightheaded after that, but we just kept me in bed for a few days and fed me well and hydrated me and I was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, With the second one, when I had some bleeding after the placenta was out, I could feel the tension in the room Um, I mean, it was really palpable and I was a little confused because I felt fine. Um, and I just kind of wanted to curl up in bed with my baby and ignore the whole thing. I was, did not have kind of like a level of consciousness about afterbirth, uh, except for the afterbirth pains that were kind of hellish. Um, but, um, they were real concerned. Um, she and the assistant and made a, a big fuss about making sure I went to the bathroom and emptied my bladder and making sure that they were kind of looking and seeing how much blood there was. And eventually she asked me, she did ask me, um, if I would consent to a Pitocin injection. Um, and I had herbs for bleeding, but in hindsight, I didn't know when to use them and she was not trained for that. So she didn't know when to use them. And she also probably if she had any, any concern about hemorrhage at all would have been legally required to do the Pitocin, but she did ask me and I did consent. Um, And I was fine. And I was also once again, fortunate that I did not have any of kind of the weird things that some people have with Pitocin. It didn't seem to interfere with bonding or breastfeeding or anything else. It was just a jab and I moved on. Um, But it kind of later on left me really kind of saying, I did not appreciate that interjection into my experience. 
was I really hemorrhaging? Was I really, was there really a concern? Could that have been different? But I didn't go real deep with it because um, I wasn't sure I was having any more babies. I thought that might be the end. Um, I had two beautiful, consciously conceived home births, both water births, um, and um, was kind of in a point in my life where I wanted to change focus a little bit and raise my babies and homeschool and work full time. I'm a holistic veterinarian, which is a emotionally intense job field. Um, and it's sometimes really hard to practice and be pregnant at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was kind of like, okay, well, if we don't have any more babies, we don't have any more babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I kept, like, I really had a hard time getting rid of baby stuff and I really had a hard time getting out of my pregnancy and birth, like Facebook support groups. And I had a really hard time with the idea of giving away my, I'm a big reader and had collected quite a library of books in support of natural pregnancy, birth, postpartum. I mean, I really do basically have a library. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm a huge nerd and I come from a birth nerd family. And so I even inherited a third generation spiritual midwifery book um, that my mother got from another practicing midwife. I mean, it's like a a second edition with all the beautiful images in it. I mean, um, so I'm, I had a hard time kind of acknowledging that maybe that part of my life was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of kept thinking maybe there's another baby in my future, but not now. I don't know when, I mean, it's not like I can keep putting it off forever, but not right now. And I, I mean, I had a, a barely two year old at home, so it's not like it had been years and years. Um, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And suddenly we were all four of us at home all the time. Um, And we are so fortunate. We live on a property that used to be an organic farm. Uh, We are not currently farming it, but it is a farm. Um, And it has these beautiful outdoor spaces. Um, It abuts a private hiking trail that all the neighborhood shares with each other. And so we can just wander through the woods whenever we feel like it. And we do all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we didn't really feel trapped like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. We felt intimate. Um, And at the same time, my job was all of a sudden amped up hardcore. Um, While my soul calls myself a holistic veterinarian, most of my hours are spent as an emergency veterinarian. Mm. And when all the clinics started closing because they had um, positive COVID cases or they started limiting their hours or how many office visits they were seeing, mm-hmm. our, we started seeing more and more and more patients yeah. without more and more and more staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the then... <laughs> Then uh, came, you know, April, May, June, July, and people were realizing that they were going to be in this for a while and started getting more pets. And this is all kind of background information, but it it absolutely plays into this. Um, And so literally their uh, work became absolutely overwhelming. 
And I literally lost track of days. I lost track of weeks. I would come home to this like idyllic, peaceful world with my family and my intimate connections. And then I would leave and go into this incredibly fear-filled, intensely medical world. Um, And I completely lost track of my cycle during this time. And I was still breastfeeding. And so it was a little hard to track anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely miscalculated my fertile window. Um, I thought I had already ovulated. And so I was in the clear. <laughs> and then two days later, I actually ovulated. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, I'm pregnant. Like I knew. Like I knew instantly. The fact that I missed my ovulation meant that I had had sex two days before I ovulated and I knew I was pregnant. Like, Mm. yep. Yep. (laughs) There was literally no question in my mind. Um, But at the same time, I could not think about it. Um, I did not have the headspace to wrap myself around an unplanned pregnancy. um, When frankly, I didn't have the funds for it. We live in a tiny home. I didn't have the space for it. Mm. Um, and I didn't have the physical capacity for it. I, after having two babies, I had not really taken the time to rebuild my body in between. Um, and I knew I was not in a great place to physically carry another baby. Although I did have a really good diet. I had that going for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I literally couldn't think about it. Um, I actually remember saying a few weeks into it to the baby I knew was in there. I I had just barely maybe started feeling some morning sickness, but it was like, it wasn't bad yet. I could just feel it coming. And I remember saying to the baby, I just need you to hold on and take care of yourself for a little while. I just, I can't right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I, I mean, on the one hand, I felt so bad about that because I was so welcoming to my first two. There was so, I mean, they were really consciously conceived and invited in and um, I couldn't face this one for a while I was pretty depressed um and then I was driving down the road on my way to work and or actually on my way home from work and um I just had this message very clearly articulated to me this is before I had taken a pregnancy test before I told anybody I was pregnant even my husband um and I mean, I guess some people call that like a download or something like that. I really kind of hate that term because I don't like the the technology kind of word that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it kind of felt like that. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything to it. It just was there. Mm -hmm. And the message was the one you didn't plan is the one that's going to teach you the most. Mm. Um, And um God, I barely started. I'm already crying. (laughs) And uh, it was just so profound um, to have that. I was like, is my baby talking to me? Is God talking to me? Am I talking to myself? I don't, I don't even know. Um, I'm not really the kind of person who usually gets these kind of clear messages. Usually my messages come from much more esoteric places where it's like really like you could read into it from any way. Um, and this one's was so clear. And, um, 
So I actually didn't even go straight home. I was like, I think I need a minute. <laughs> and I went into my favorite coffee shop, which I couldn't even go inside. Um, and I just got myself a cup of tea and sat in my car for a little while and just kind of like sat with it and um, was like, well, I guess I need to start preparing for something. I don't really know what, but I need to prepare for something. <laughs> um, and uh I still didn't tell anybody, but started, I started just thinking about where did, where did I want to go from here? And it was an, a really interesting time. I had a lot of anxiety because I'm not good at keeping things from other people at all, like at all, at all. <laughs> um, I'm definitely the person who instantly, as soon as they get a positive pregnancy test, like tells every single person I know, like puts it on social media. I'm like, oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, this is awesome. And I mean, like, and I basically said, at, before I even got pregnant with my first one, if I have a loss, I'm still going to tell everyone because that's just the person I am. And I want everyone to know that I had a loss and therefore they can treat me accordingly. Um, and it, that is absolutely not how everybody is. And I completely get it, but that is how I am. Mm -hmm. But I was not with this one. I kept this one real close to the chest for a long time. Um, and finally, oh my gosh, I think I was like eight weeks pregnant. I caught a cold, which I never do in spite of wearing a mask everywhere we went, okay. I, uh, which is very common for me when I am pregnant, my immune system is, is just not great. And I get colds very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, I was nauseous all day long and I was having anxiety because of the fact that I was experiencing all these things. I couldn't even talk about it. Um, I mean, I was a hot mess. <laughs> Uh, and so finally I took a test so that I could be like, yeah, I'm pregnant. Uh, even though clearly I'd known for weeks that I was pregnant um, and told my husband and we kind of had to wrap our minds around that. And um, he was real anxious and scared about the ramifications of having an unplanned pregnancy. Um, but we were, we were, I mean, we were excited too. And finally, once we could talk about it, it felt much lighter. It didn't feel quite so heavy anymore. Mm -hmm. Um and then I kind of got excited because I realized I was in a different headspace than I was the first time when I really, really wanted a midwife because I had never done it before and I wanted a lifeguard and all the things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a whole story in of itself because we moved and moved to a state where midwifery was illegal and couldn't didn't have a social network to find a midwife. I mean, it was a whole thing. Um, but anyway, um, and then the second time where I had a good experience, but realized basically that's not the model I want. I actually don't want somebody who feels obliged to give me Pitocin. Like, right. I, don't, I just didn't like it. So what are my options? And I actually did, but I was also kind of broke since I wasn't planning on having another baby. Um, and I was like, am I a free birther? Ooh, maybe. And I kind of thought about it and looked into it and watched some YouTube videos, which I'd watched before and absolutely loved. I love watching free birth videos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I realized that's not me. I am, I am not a free birther. I want an experienced woman walking with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't really sure what that looked like yet. And then for financial reasons, I kind of looked into 
a, a birth center that's associated with our area and took a tour, a virtual tour, because they won't let you in the building, um, and immediately realized, no, absolutely not. As a home birther, I am absolutely unwilling to compromise to this point. No way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then I asked on a local home birth support Facebook group about um, uh, radical f- birth keepers is the term I used, because that was a term I had heard, and I wanted to be really clear that I was not looking for a licensed midwife and I wasn't sure what language I needed to use, but that sounded like a term that might work. Mm-hmm. And actually I got a, immediately got a comment from another mom um, that said, yes, we have at least two in the area who are really open about what they do. And he, of the two, here's who you should call. Um, And so I did, and I hit it off with um, Olivia really quickly, and we each told our birth stories and our backgrounds, and we um, kind of set some, like, here's what I want. Do you think you can do that? Like, is that how you're aligned? I, I don't want to, I don't really want a professional medical person to watch over my pregnancy. I'm okay with doing that myself for the most part. Um, but I do want a, I want, I kind of want a companion to walk the journey with me. And I would be okay with a doula, except that I want someone who, who is willing to, I don't know, like catch a baby, (laughs) willing to, um, to make some exceptions. And technically doulas, I mean, at least where I am, aren't supposed to be at free births or births with unlicensed midwives. At least that was my understanding. Um, So I was like, I don't even know if I can find a doula, but if someone's calling themselves a radical birth keeper, then I know that they are completely acknowledging that they are outside of that, that whole dynamic. Right. Um, And so that's what I, that's what I went with. Um, and, uh, she was great and no regrets. Um, and so I learned how to do my own prenatals, but then also kind of chose not to do them because I really wanted to be completely intuitive with my pregnancy. Um, once I finally acknowledged it was there, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to learn how to cultivate intuition. It's not actually something that comes naturally to me really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, since I'd had that message, you, I mean, you can't be prepared for everything. That's literally impossible. But you can open yourself up to sort of being okay with whatever happens. Instead of saying, here's, my, here's the list of every single thing that can happen and how can I over-research everything on this list, which is kind of my, my very intellectual brain instinct. Mm-hmm. Instead, you can say, whatever happens, I will in, I will deal with it in the moment with my inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to know all the answers in advance. Um, I love that so much. And so that's what I worked on for my pregnancy. And I really sought out resources for that specifically. Um, and I stumbled, actually, I stumbled across Indie Birth um, and a few other things. But really, um, I liked 
indie birth on um, some of my socials, specifically on Instagram. Um, and some of the questions that were brought up and some of the conversations going on there and um, kind of wanted to do the 13 moons course, but was also kind of like as a third time mom, am I going to get anything out of this? Like I've already done this twice. I've already done a so-called comprehensive Bradley class who was actually taught by my mother because she was a Bradley instructor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've watched hours and hours and hours and hours of YouTube videos and mama natural videos. Like, what am I really going to get out of this course? I don't already have. Um, but when there was a discussion about third stage of labor, I realized I actually need to learn a lot about this. I, I, I've had some pretty significant bleeding on my previous two births and I wasn't sure how significant it was like was I in any danger either time was Pitocin actually helpful or needed if it was then what am I going to do now that I don't have a medical person at my birth um how do I know if it what's what's dangerous and what's not um do do I feel safe not having that option Uh, weirdly as a veterinarian I probably could get my hands on it from extra legal ways do I want to do that um so I mean I just had so many questions about it once I started thinking about it and so I was gonna sign up for the indie birth like start third stage labor mini course um and then they announced that they were gonna do this whole um pay what you can thing and I was on it. Like literally I may have been the first person to sign up for it because I signed up for it so fast that the link didn't work. And um, I actually had to email, I think it was Margot and be like, so I just screwed up. <laughs> Can you fix that? <laughs> um, and like, so I literally may have been the first person to sign up for it once it went pay what you can. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then I like, because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really good at academics and coursework. Like I excel in that area of life. <laughs> and I literally like devoured the entire course while working full time and being at home with my toddler and my, my kindergartner and my husband in a matter of weeks. <laughs> amazing. Um, so and amazing. yeah, I, I was very motivated <laughs> uh, and absolutely loved it. And, um, I got so much more out of it than I expected. And really the conversations around intuition and spirit babies and um, respecting the postpartum. And um, I mean, there was just so much there that had a richness and depth to it beyond what I knew was going to be there, which was supportive physiologic birth. Um, And uh, I, I mean, at the same time, I had developed a lot of other practices. I was doing meditation. I was doing um, uh, a lot of stretching and sort of just being present in my body um, and all kinds of stuff. And and when we did do a few, we did a few what I would call prenatals, me and Olivia did. Um, and I did have her use the Doppler. We measured um, some heart tones for a little bit and I didn't like it and Yuli didn't like it. And that's why we didn't really do it again. And we decided we weren't going to do that at the birth. He really he really rejected that. He pushed, he pushed against it. Um, but it was interesting. His heart rate was always a little lower than the norm or the, always the two times we looked. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, it was really clear that he was not distressed, but it was just like a little lower than with like the standard numbers that you would see listed. And uh, neither one of us were really sure what to do with that information. We just sort of tucked it away like, hmm, okay, that's, that's who Yuli is. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not have a name at that point, but, and technically I didn't know the gender, but I knew, I knew he was a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually a whole story in and of itself. I actually had found out with my first two what the genders were, and I had had ultrasounds. And I wanted so badly to have an intuitive pregnancy this time. And the only reason I'd ever done the ultrasound is either because the midwife wanted it or because somebody else wanted a gender reveal. And on this one, I was like, you know, this is stupid. I'm not, I'm not doing this for someone else. I have zero interest in an ultrasound. I have never had an interest in an ultrasound and I don't want to know the gender and I don't want anyone else to know the gender. I'm not doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you would be amazed the co- I got more comments about not finding out the gender than I did about the fact that I was having an unassisted home birth. Wow. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, people could not handle it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but how will you do the nursery? How do you know what toys to buy? How do you know what color to put the baby in? I'm like, this is so completely irrelevant. How will you know like, whether I to buy green or it. blue clothes? <laughs> Right. I'm like, I, I don't even, we even live in a tiny home. We don't even have a nursery people. Like this is so irrelevant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, yeah, I still, I kind of look back on that. In fact, a a very sweet coworker threw me a baby shower and she's very mainstream and, but she really wanted to do this for me. And she actually bought a cake that's basically designed to be a gender reveal cake but without the gender reveal because <laughs> no one knew. <laughs> it's so weird. It's just like this pink and blue cake with a big question mark on it. And I'm like, that's the, that's what we're focusing on at my baby shower. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, that's so, um, so anyway, um, because of the whole COVID thing, um, there was a lot of um, question marks around who in the world was going to be able to be there and who wasn't. And uh, we live in North Carolina, my best friend, my parents, basically my entire support system um, other than a few friends live in Alabama, not really close by at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And here in North Carolina, we, I mean, partially because I work full time and partially because the kids were no longer in preschool and all their activities had been shut down. Um, we didn't really have great contact with friends during my pregnancy. Um, and there were absolutely no meetup groups or anything. And because I work full time, it's, it's really hard for me to do like to organize play dates and to organize park meetups. And actually the parks were closed. I mean, like we just had so little ability to connect with anybody. Mm. It was incredibly lonely pregnancy. Mm. That said, it, it kept me very intuitive. I mean, right. if there's literally no one else who's putting stuff in your world and questioning things and, and putting their perspective on you, all you've kind of got is what's internal, mm-hmm. which was cool, but it was incredibly lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, 
I couldn't really figure out who would be at my birth, but I knew that I had two children at home and somebody was going to have to help me with them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we invited my parents to come and my mother so desperately wanted to be there. She was just about crawling out of her skin to be like, please let me be there. Like, <laughs> um, and she had tried to make it to the previous two, but it just, the timing had not worked out. And so she had never been at one of my births. Um, and so she decided she was going to be there, hell or high water. She was going to come weeks in advance. And I was kind of like, mom, I live in a tiny house. You cannot come weeks in advance. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, but uh, we, they wanted to be there and I needed logistically, I needed somebody to be there. The person I really wanted to be there um, for a lot of reasons is my best friend, Maria. And she has made it to my other two births. And she is a very useful person to have around. She just brings the right energy and the right trust in me. And um, she's a doer. So like you give her a list and it will be accomplished. And so it's like, here, when I go into labor, please do the following things. And she just does them, like just makes it happen. She's great. Great um, what a great uh, friend to have in that, in that time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, she has the added benefit of also being, um, an MD. Um, uh, so we have to be a little careful. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. a, a little careful with her on the, she is not attending a birth, which actually could put her in some hot water. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it's kind of nice if something kind of happened, she's, there. Well, what if you um, mind me asking what kind of what kind of yeah. doctor is she? <laughs> so she's a pediatric psychiatrist. Okay. So literally nothing to do with the birth world right. at all. <laughs> so that I got uh, yeah, then I I'm wondering, I mean I I mean I'm wondering why she would get in trouble if she was attending her birth because it has okay. nothing to do, you know what I'm so saying? So precisely because she's a pediatric psychiatrist, this would be considered operating outside the scope of her practice. Ah, um, yeah. And on top of that, she's not licensed in the state of North Carolina. She's licensed in Alabama. Mm. Um, so that said, nobody would take away her credentials. She would not lose her job, um, but she could be brought before the medical board and given a slap on the wrist, which would be unpleasant. It, right. It's not, it, not right. the end of the world. Um, but still, it's something we kind of had to think about with my first pregnancy. Like, do you want to be there? Is that a risk that you're open to doing? How would we manage it in case of a hospital transfer? I mean, all kinds of stuff came up that we kind of had to think through. Um, but by this time we're on, this is the third time and we had already thought all that stuff through. And, um, and it was cool because this particular pregnancies, I, I mean, I work and I was going to get some disability and I had to have a physician's exam. And I was like, I haven't had a physician's exam this entire pregnancy. I don't, who in the world is going to sign this paperwork? And, um, Maria was like, hello, I'm standing right here. <laughs> and I was like, are you okay with this? Can you sign this without it being like a problem? Cause it's not like you're in my obstetrician or something. She's like, no one is going to look at this except the freaking people who signed the disability check. You are fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's, yeah, kind of a weird, like, so technically at my, legally what would be required what would be called and what is on Ulan's birth certificate an unassisted birth I had a radical birth keeper um an RN who has a master's degree in um infant and maternal health and an MD 
awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the most attended, quite unattended birthday ever. Anyway. <laughs> quite the crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so they... <sighs> the plan was for them to come really just a few days before my due date. Cause I've gone, I went four days past my supposed due date with my first and I um, birthed on my due date with my second. And um, I really like, this sounds weird. I wanted to go late with mm-hmm. this one. And the reason I wanted to go late is so I wouldn't feel rushed and I wouldn't feel like I don't know, like I'm running to the finish line. Like I went into labor at work with my first and I had two days off between work and having my second. And, and during that time we had a mother blessing and a blizzard and we prepped everything. And so it was just so intense getting ready for them. I was like, can this one just stay in a little longer so I can just enjoy it a little more? Like, um, and so everybody, I I really didn't want them to come really early, but, um, that kind of, uh, that kind of brings me up to, um, Yuli's pre-birth birth labor part of the story, um, which was kind of an unusual, for me anyway, um, labor. Uh, so with my first, it was kind of like a Hollywood movie. I had a few contractions at work. I came home, I had some dinner. I actually hung out and watched YouTube birth videos and did some meditating and then went to bed. And then in like 11 o'clock at night, I jumped out of bed and had a gush, a dramatic Hollywood style gush of water. And uh, within 30 minutes, I was having contractions and had a baby at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, And it was beautiful and it was a water birth. And um, I really wouldn't want to change a thing about the way that went. It was hard, but it never, I never got to a point where I really thought I couldn't do it. And I was never scared. Um, and it was so textbook, like the Bradley class is very, they have these emotional, like milestones, like you can look at along the way and kind of tell where you are in the labor process. And I hit all of them in order. (laughs) Um, and I remember at one point I was like, I can't do this. And I was like, Oh, that means I'm in transition. Oh my God, I'm almost there. (laughs) Like it was so textbook. (laughs) Um, and with Addie, I had a precipitous labor. Mm -hmm. So are close to it anyway, depends on how you define it. But like, um, I had, we went for a walk in the afternoon and I had contractions that night and they were annoying. They were, they were really weird. They were like every two and a half minutes, but they only felt like period cramps. And it was so annoying. I was like, this is, this is BS. Like, this is going to keep me awake, but I can't like, I'm not like having a baby. Like you don't have babies with period cramps. You know? like, so I got in the bath and tried to get them to go away and they wouldn't go away. And then I got annoyed and made myself some chamomile tea, which actually did make them go away, which was nice. And then I tried to lay down and go to sleep um, and cuddled up to my uh, three and a half year old in the bed. And was like, I don't know, maybe the oxytocin rush of 
cuddling up to the baby in bed or something. Um, but then it kind of kicked me into labor, but then I wasn't really sure I was in labor. So I got up and tried to take a shower. And literally within five minutes, I was like completely overwhelmed, lying on the floor. Ah! Oh, wow. And um, it was the middle of the night. My husband had literally just fallen asleep. Maria was there. She had gone into her room and turned on the sound machine because she was going to go to sleep. Nobody could hear me. And I'm like screaming. <laughs> um, and then two hours later, I had a baby. <laughs> um, and she was a water birth. Uh, I will say that one was a little more emotionally intense because it happened so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's like I couldn't process it in the moment. I couldn't kind of stay on top of it. It just happened to me. And I would have liked to have that one go a little slower, but that is the way it happened. Um, And it was lovely and nothing went wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this one was way different. So with Yuli, I was at work. I was miserable at work. Um, I had back pain. I had perineal pressure. I felt unstable. I would get out of breath easily and I'm working veterinary ER, it's crazy busy. Um, And I had run a code a couple days before. And having run that code while that pregnant was absolutely a nightmare. And I, I, fortunately, there had been another veterinarian there who could kind of step in and do some of the physicality of it. Um, But since that time, when I realized I like physically can't run a code, like I can't do this. And mentally, I could tell, you know, how at the end of pregnancy, you're sort like your, your brain and your body are trying to enter into that, that veil, Mm -hmm. that intentional time where you're sort of up in the stars and it's, that's how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And yet here I am in this intense medical environment where I need to think fast. Mm -hmm. I need to think thoroughly. I need to be fully in my logical and inter and intellectual brain. And it was such a complete mismatch to where my body was. Right. And I, like I would pull my brain back in order to do it, but it was such a huge energy drain. It was mm-hmm. awful. Um, and I was like, I, I, that day at work, I was scared. Something was going to code. I was having a hard time focusing. I, I was like, I couldn't be there anymore. I was done. Mm-hmm. And then I was having contractions like three contractions an hour. So not like close together at all, but I was having three contractions an hour for the entire 11 hour shift. Yes. 11 hour shift. Um, and I was like, yep, I'm done. And I just texted my boss at the end of my shift. And I was like, that was the last one. I'm not coming back. And she'd kind of been prepared for that. Um, like, um, just, just so I, just so I'm aware actually, by code, you mean, um, like a, like a intense animal emergency, emergency correct like so a, i mean cpr so like mean CPR. something dying okay okay yeah. yeah yeah okay okay and you're right there's other kind of levels of things that can happen but um cpr is what i'm specifically okay. referring to where literally like, that's the kind of the most intensity of the medical experience yes. um and part of what i do as an er vet from time to time fortunately not frequently yes. um and um So yeah, I finally tapped out, but this was on like the 19th and I was not due until the second. So this was way earlier than I had intended to tap out. Um, But here I was having contractions three an hour for 11 hours. And I'm like, where, where does this mean? I mean, I am 
38 weeks plus, I guess this could be early labor. So um, I've been doing uh, fertility awareness for a while. And so I know how to do cervical checks. And I actually did some cervical checks on myself with my when I was in labor with my second baby, um, I, not very many, since I was only in labor for a couple hours. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I had checked my dilation a couple times and was absolutely fascinated by the process. And so I decided to check myself. And to my surprise, I was three centimeters dilated. And I, and I kind of, I went ahead and told my birth keeper um, and she was kind of like, I mean, yes, but also you just, you're a third time mom. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm not, I'm not like excited about this. Um, it's not like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm in labor. Um, I could sit at three centimeters for the next four weeks. Um, and so I didn't freak out about it, but I was kind of like, well, that means those contractions were really doing something and I'm not really ready for them to be doing things. So I'm putting myself on bed rest. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I say bed rest loosely. What I mean is that I acknowledged that I was 38 plus and needed to freaking lie down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was tired. Um, and so I did. I basically didn't get out of bed for a few days. And uh, I did tell my mom and my best friend, since they I wanted them to be part of my birth team, what was going on. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was also real clear that I did not think I was about to have a baby. I did not feel birthy. I just felt like I was very, very pregnant and eventually would have a baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was, it was nice to finally be able to let that really intellectual part of my brain go. It was such a relief. It really was. I mean, I was so ready for it. Um, and I really did just kind of go into that intuitive, just feeling things part of myself. And um, it was very needed. Uh, so I spent time with my babies and I spent time in bed and I meditated and I watched a bunch of birth videos and some indie birth stuff I hadn't gotten to or rewatched my favorites and um, went for walks in the woods, usually short ones, because I was not up for long hikes at that point. Mm -hmm. Although I did take a couple that were pretty long, uh, and even went by myself um, a couple times. And Ian was like, please don't just like come back with a baby. Like, mm -hmm. sorry, Ian's my husband. He was like, don't just like come back with a baby. Like, if you're going to go off by yourself, you're gonna have to come back. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was a uh, it was nice. It was a nice time. Um, on the other hand, I definitely had a lot of anxiety about what if I have a baby before my birth team gets here. Mm -hmm. So we had a couple of discussions with everybody involved about how to play it. And basically Maria decided on her own volition, she was like, you know what? I'm coming now. Um, I, I want to be there. And I don't want it to just be you and Ian and the kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that would have been bad if it was me and Ian and the kids. But I will say if Ian was trying to parent a three-year-old and a six-year-old while I was in labor, I would be completely on my own. And I was not really comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so she moved up her plane ticket to like a same day ticket and flew up the next day um, and was here real fast just in case. 
um, my mom and my dad had some logistical issues and it took them another couple days, but they actually did come really early too. And on the one hand, I was like, yay, everybody's here. We can now just chill. Like we played cards and ate dinner and I was just chill. Except on the other hand, it now meant that we had uh, five adults and two children in a tiny home with nothing to do and nowhere to go because it was COVID. Yeah. Um, And everybody was on each other's nerves all the time and politics were ever present and it was and uh, my parents have very different political views than my best friend mm-hmm. um it was intense just the thing you need um, right before your birth too. <laughs> yeah 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 it was uh i mean and it's like on the one hand i'm like all these people are the people who care about me the most of course. and really all of them trust birth and trust me um, I mean, even my dad, which some people would be like, that's a little weird. Why is your dad like part of this? But my dad, you got to remember, he supported my mom through three completely natural, uninterrupted, no, I'm not going to say uninterrupted, but natural births mm-hmm. and took care of the kids while she taught Bradley classes in our living room. My dad is like on board. Yeah. Um, so these people support and love and believe in me. They're just really different people in a small space. Yeah. Um, and um, so that was weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so during these days um, leading up to Yuli's birth, I basically had no contractions. I would literally maybe had one or two a day. Um, but, the, but there was a lot of like downward pressure but it didn't feel like, I mean, it just, I don't know. It felt like late pregnancy. It felt like, you know, there's a bowling ball sitting on your perineum. Um, and uh, I did a lot of moving and stretching, although I actually did not do like spinning baby circuits or anything. It was way more laid back than that. It was more like, I feel like moving or I don't feel like moving. Um, and uh, I did check my dilation a few days later. Once everybody was, actually, I checked it right before everybody came because I was like, okay, how close, like, is anything happening? And to my surprise, I was five centimeters dilated, which I think is maybe like everybody was like, we need to get there immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I am five centimeters dilated. This is crazy. This really could happen at any time. And then like three more days passed that I'm still pregnant Um, and still having like a couple contractions a day. Mm -hmm. And um, so on... Maria's last day there. So she had been there an entire week. Um, still no baby. She, that was the amount of time she had taken off from work. And I very much appreciate that time. My house was finally clean. The grocery shopping was done. All the guest spaces that had been kind of waited for the last minute were there. Um, but she had to leave. And um, no baby. That day, I was seven centimeters dilated. Mm. Um, We went for a midnight walk before her plane, before she got on a plane at like six o'clock the next morning. And um, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, It was just past a full moon. And so you could see without a flashlight. And we just walked the property. And um, I don't know, just 
experienced each other and experienced the land and the feeling of a full moon and a full belly. And it just felt like that baby was going to come, but he didn't. Um, and the next day she left and I was pretty depressed. Um, everything just felt so heavy. Uh, I felt like the fact that we'd all freaked out and panicked and then she'd come early. It wasn't panic, but I mean, my anxiety, like we weren't sure what's going to happen. She came early and then because she came early, she missed the birth. And it turns out that he's just going to be born really close to his due date, which is what we all expected to begin with. Like there was just a lot. There's a lot. Um, and Ian had been, I'm not going to say distant. He had not been distant, but he had been distracted by having Maria around who was, who was a one, she's a psychiatrist. She's a wonderful listening ear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, he basically got like nightly therapy sessions after I would go to bed and they would do dishes together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but he was distracted and he wasn't like, you know, coming to bed with me and rubbing my feet. He was hanging out with Maria. Um, and he was distracted by my parents and he was distracted by the kids. And I was definitely feeling some distance between us at a time I wanted to feel the most connected. Um, and, uh, so that day I, I had enough kind of presence of mind to realize I needed something to change. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I took a long nap and did some meditations and did some stretching and then basically walked into the family room and said, all right, everybody's going to bed early tonight. And, uh, that's, I'm putting my foot down. And, uh, so we, I don't know, we did a boxed dinner, kept it simple. And I think we may have even eaten off paper plates so I could throw them away and not have to do dishes and, um, sent my parents off to their room, put the kids to bed as early as we could manage. And, um, I was like, everybody go away, you know, <laughs> to the extent that you can in a tiny house. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I stayed up until two o'clock in the morning with Ian. Um, and it was, um, it was so needed and it was, I mean, it was exactly right. Um, he basically just gave me a massage and I gave him a massage. I wanted to feel like I was, I mean, it's a time when obviously a pregnant woman should be cared for by others. But I also, I wanted him to feel supported and cared for because I knew that he was sort of trying to hold it together for everybody at that point. Um, and had taken over all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the childcare. And he was feeling it. And it wasn't like it was going to stop because once I had a baby, I wasn't doing it. <laughs> Um, and so I wanted, I wanted him to feel that, that I acknowledged what he was doing. Um, and then after we each got our massages, um, he made us some tea and we sat up and drank herbal tea in the middle of the night. And, um, uh, weird side story. I, I love my giant yoga ball that, um, you know, the birthy balls and, um, I had the one that somebody had gifted me forever ago. And then of course I got rid of it and then I got another one and got rid of it. And then I got another one because I kept thinking, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> um, and this time I loved my yoga ball, but it, here it was cold weather and we had these space heaters out and somebody had kicked it up against the space heater and it melted and got oh, deflated. And here I am like 39 plus weeks pregnant without my yoga ball. And it's one of the things that Maria is great at. Maria's like, 
you want that yoga ball, don't you? And I was like, it's not a big deal. It's fine. I'm only gonna be pregnant for a few more days. I don't really need it. And she's like, I'm getting you a yoga ball. She like takes a special trip. She drives 45 minutes each way to go to Walmart and gets me a yoga ball. Oh, what an amazing <laughs> um, and thank God, because I really did use that thing. <laughs> um, but so uh, I, I literally, it's so uncomfortable when I'm that pregnant to sit on the sofa. Like I hate I hate the couch mm-hmm. when I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, and so I had like propped up some pillows on the floor and was just leaning forward on my yoga ball and just like swaying back and forth and swaying my hips and just letting the belly hang low um, with my, just my chest supported. And it just felt so good, like so good. And there were no kids present and nobody was crawling all over me or asking me questions. And it was just exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wonder, I mean, admittedly I was 39 plus five. So, I mean, it, I was going to have a baby, but, yeah. <laughs> and also seven centimeters dilated. It was walking mm-hmm. around hiking in the woods, seven centimeters dilated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do wonder if having a massage, taking some time to really connect to Ian and leaning forward on that freaking yoga ball (laughs) (laughs) is finally what pushed me over. (laughs) Um, And uh, I, so anyway, at two o'clock in the morning, we go to bed and um, at four 30, I had contractions that woke me up like big enough contractions that they woke me out of a sleep. And I woke up Ian and we went back into the living room and timed them for a little while. They weren't super close together. They were like five to eight minutes apart, which actually for me is not close together. Uh, For some people it is. Um, And, but they petered off by five 30. They were, in fact, it was not even five 30. So I probably only had five or 10 contractions that we were timing at that point. Um, And then we were like, Oh, okay. Guess not going back to bed. So we go back to bed, but we both, I mean, the whole energy of everything had just shifted. Yeah. Um, and um, at 630 in the morning, we, uh, I woke up to a trickle and knew my waters had opened a little. Uh, it was no, it was absolutely not the giant gush that had happened with the first one at all. Mm-hmm. But I was like, that's some waters and I'm having some contractions that feel bigger, although they weren't particularly close together. I think it's time. Mm. It's time to go ahead and prep. I don't quite know what's going to happen next, but it's time. And I just knew. So I woke up Ian and told him and he went ahead and woke up my parents and they started working on the birth tub. Now that's a whole other thing. Like as far as it coming to me mentally preparing for anything, I love my water births and I wanted another water birth and we had the tub and we'd practice setting it up, but we also live in this tiny house with this tiny water heater and it has one of those piping systems that goes underneath an uninsulated house. And so it doesn't even get that hot. Um, And so we had tried to like logistically figure out how to fill this tub and we were really not sure it was going to happen. We were like, but, well, well, obviously we'll empty the hot water heater, but then we're going to have to wait an hour for it to reheat. And even then we're probably going to have to f- like 
it would take four hours to fill that tub if we were just using the hot water heater. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bathtub was so itty bitty small, I couldn't labor in there. So I was trying to figure out how we were going to do this. And we basically just planned on, you know, the stove, <laughs> like <laughs> eat up every water we could find um, in a big pot and pour it in until it was, there was enough. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, maybe this one won't be a two hour labor and we'll have time and it'll be fine. <laughs> but I also was like, look, I am completely mentally prepared that this may be a land birth. And of course everybody laughed and they were like, you mean like just a regular birth? And I'm like, well, when you've had two water births, that is your default. And you refer to it as a land birth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I did. I decided that that's, that I was going to be okay with that. I was going to mentally prepare for the reality that I might be having a land birth, but I really wanted a water birth. And my dad was like, all right, I'm going to do my absolute best to get you a water birth. (laughs) God bless him. Um, and so he started working on the tub and using the little vacuum blower upper thing woke the three-year-old up and, uh, she wanted to nurse and here I am like in labor. Um, but I wasn't so into labor that I was completely opposed to it. Um, and I really wanted her to go back to sleep really, really motivated to make her go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I did. I laid down with her in the bed and nursed her until she went back to sleep. And the contractions were really interesting during that time. Um, They were super, super close together, like a minute or two apart. Um, But they were, they were more like spazzy. Um, It didn't feel like the other contractions. It was like I had big contractions every five to eight minutes. And then I had these like weird spazzy ones in between while I was nursing her. And it was clear that they weren't really the same at all. They were like caused by the nursing, but not really birthing contractions. So weird. I don't know what to do with that information. I just thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So Addie goes back to sleep and I lay down with her as long as I can. And it had to have been at least 45 minutes. Nobody was really keeping track at this point. Um, Nobody was timing contractions. But it, I mean, it was long enough that we'd completely blown up the birth tub, completely emptied the hot water heater. Ian had called Olivia. My mom was making nourishing herbal infusions on the stove. She was starting to heat up water on the stove. So it had been a while. Um, and I was like, okay, I have reached a point where I can no longer lie down. <laughs> I can't take this lying down. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so I got up. Um, and, but it's funny cause it, with my other verse, I mean, they, like I described Addie's like, once it hit me, I was like in it, there was no, what do I do now? Like, it, no, it was all consuming, but this one, it was not, it was like, I'd have a contraction and then I was done with my contraction and I was like, Hmm, okay. All right. We'll wait for the next one. Um, and so I was like, I guess I'll get dressed. And um, so I, for the last two births, I'd had this cute little swimsuit cover up black dress thing that I was like, if I feel like putting it on, I will. And I didn't with either of the other two. Um, and I felt like it this time. So I put it on and I was like, this is cute. And then I was like, I'm going to braid my hair. <laughs> so I braided my hair. Um, <laughs> also, I've never done that before. I've, I've always looked like I just went through hell after, <laughs> when I have a baby. Um and uh, then I walked out to the living room and kind of told Ian, all right, here, here's what's happening. I, I'm feeling it pretty intensely, but I'm 
but actually I feel pretty good. Um, and even though, I mean, I basically hadn't slept the night before, but I'd gotten little cat naps in and I'd taken the whole day off and taken a nap the previous afternoon. So I wasn't particularly tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so it was a pretty good place to start from. Um, but so we kind of decided like, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, all right, I want the yoga ball. Um, my water hasn't broken, so we should probably be prepared for that. So we kind of set up a little area in the living room while we were waiting on the tub. And um, pretty quickly after that, though, things were getting really like, like taking my full attention. I can no longer speak or think during a contraction kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to get a little closer together. I can like feel it in my body right now as I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh Um, and Olivia wasn't there yet, but she was on her way and the birth tub wasn't really full at all. I think there was maybe six inches of water in it. Um, and I was like, this might not work. Um, and, uh, then I got to that point where I had to make noise and not just kind of noises, but like noise, like loud. Mm -hmm. Um, and that woke up my (laughs) six year old. Um, and he came out into the living room and we had talked a lot about what birth would be like, but he really wasn't, he's a sensitive kid. He wasn't really sure he wanted to be there for it. Um, but he sat next to me and I was on like in front of the sofa and he sat on the sofa and he'd put his hand on me and, um, Ian kind of modeled for him saying, good job, mommy you're doing great. And so he would just hold, just have his little hand there and he'd say, good job, mommy, you're doing great. And he was so sweet. Um, and I just leaned forward on my yoga ball and swayed my hips and went with it. Um, and then (laughs) poor kid, Ian and Owen were sitting. So my son and my husband were sitting right next to me on the sofa and I'm right in front of the sofa and I'm having a really big contraction And my water, for lack of a better term, explodes. (laughs) I mean, like, literally gallons of water just, like, shooting out. Oh, my God. There's the Hollywood Hollywood gush. Yeah. I mean, it was... It was amazing. (laughs) Ian's literally like, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Owen, the the six-year-old, literally crawls over the back of the sofa and runs into the kitchen to be with Nana. Like, he cannot handle this. (laughs) And, I mean, mean, everything is just sopping, soaking wet now. Everything around us. (laughs) I was like, dang! Um, but I'll, but I will say it was very clear that the reason my water broke is because that head was descending. The pressure was overwhelming. The contraction was over, but the pressure did not let up at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this baby's coming. Um, but I couldn't articulate that at all. Um, and j- like right at this moment, the, then there's a knock on the door and Olivia has arrived and she walks through like while I'm sitting in this puddle um and Ian's like her water just broke and uh, she's like oh good that'll probably help with the pressure and I'm think I couldn't say it I literally was like incapable of speech at this point mm-hmm. um I mean I was clearly like yeah like deep in it um but I remember thinking hell no it didn't help with the freaking pressure <laughs> <laughs> now there's no cushion the bowling ball is just there <laughs> um 
and uh, I and so I, I mean I really felt like I couldn't move. I didn't really want to be sitting in the puddle, but I couldn't move. And I I did finally say something like, "Please help me." And um, so they kind of moved my yoga ball out of the way because it was kind of like sort of wedged between me and the the birth pool, which was not full. And it was very clear. I was not going to be able to make it into that tub. Um, and so they moved it out of the way and I literally just crawled forward like three feet to where the yoga ball had been. And they removed the sopping wet stuff that was under me. And then I was like, Oh, there's a head. And so they grabbed a couple towels and grabbed a couple more chucks pads and kind of threw them down. And I had my hand on the head. And this is the first time I've ever done this. Um, Addie came so fast that I, frankly, it didn't like occur to me because no one really realized she was crowning. It was like, oh, the baby's coming out. Oh, oh, there's a baby. Like she literally just like bobbed to the surface of the water and everyone was like, oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And (laughs) with the first one, I, I kind of lost it during the crowning. Um, and even though my, my midwife actually said, put your hand down, you can feel your baby. I was like, ah, no, 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 absolutely not. I am not putting my hand down there. Um, but this time I did this time I was really, I mean, I don't know, a weird combination of completely in the stars and not really able to communicate while being completely present in my body. It was this, it was so, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like, how can you be that aware of everything going on in your body while also being completely in another realm? I don't know. It was right. unique. Yeah. Um, and I put my head down there and it was, I mean, I could feel his head and it was come, it was way further out than I thought it would be. Like, it wasn't like I was feeling like a quarter size piece of scalp. Like there was a baby head. Um, and, um, I kept my hand there while Ian put his hands kind of underneath, um, to catch. And, um, on the next contraction, um, the whole, the rest of the head emerged and he, I could feel him within my body. I could feel him rotate. Um, I, I had kind of let go of him at this point. I kind of needed that stability of my other hand. Um, but I could feel him rotate inside me, which while I could feel my second one descend and, and come out, I was, I couldn't feel the details of it. Like I could with him, I could feel how he was pushing off on the inside. I could feel how he was, his shoulders were rotating. And when he was done with his rotation, I knew he was ready to come out. Mm-hmm. And so I had this weird combination of like a fetal ejection reflex and an urge to push and a consciousness that it was the right time. And I just pushed him out and that was it. And it was like the easiest, most effortless, gigantic effort of my life. (laughs) Like it was so much energy and like, you know, your whole being is like pushing out Mm -hmm. and yet it was just so easy. It was so weird. Um, and Ian caught him and, uh, and by catch, I will say, I actually watched the video later. Catch is a relative term. He kept him from hitting the floor full velocity. <laughs> he, he lightly broke the fall. I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but he was then on the floor between my legs, which is exactly what I had asked to happen if I did not catch him myself. 
Um, and so I sat back and I pulled him onto me. And so um, Ian was technically the first person to touch him because he, he broke his fall. But then I, then I, he was all mine. Um, and uh, it was, I, I was, I just, it is exactly what I wanted. There was no one wearing gloves. There was no, you know, latex or vinyl being his first touch in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, oh, it was just so right. Um, and he was all slimy and covered in vernix and he was all wiggly and tight and toned. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other two had been too. They, they all looked great, you know, coming out. Um, I mean, looking back at the picture, he, he had that newborn kind of weird color, but like it was very short lived and, and he looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I will say one thing that was really different and that I noticed immediately was that he didn't open his eyes and look at me. And with, my first two, they were wide eyed and like dilated pupils. And it was like an instant, like we looked into each other's eyes and knew each other. And um, Yuli didn't open his eyes. Uh, I, th- I kind of immediately thought that was weird. But uh, I mean, he had a pretty freaking precipitous labor. And I was like, well, maybe he's got some swelling. Maybe he doesn't want to open his eyes yet. He's still working on that part. Um, and I, so I held him to my chest and kissed him and whispered him. And I noticed that his face was a little weird color. So I did go ahead and kind of put, um, suck out whatever I could, which there really wasn't anything to suck out. He, his, his breathing sounded very clear. Um, and then I, I considered blowing into him, um, and kind of did blow in his face. But everything sounded so good that I didn't give him a full blowing into his nose and mouth breath, um, at least not at that point. And, um, and so we sat back and I have beautiful pictures of us sitting in the candlelight in the early morning um, with a beautiful cord with those big purple pearls still in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I left it there for a while while we, while we cuddled. And uh, then when I started having contractions that were big enough that they were distracting me and I like couldn't just focus on him, I had to be like, oh, dang, again. Then I was like, all right, it's time for this placenta to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the part I had been kind of pretty excited about because I had almost no memory of my placentas coming out before. Like it was not something I really paid attention to. And it was something that I'd spent so much time reading about because I wanted to have a consciousness and how I managed it this time. And I wanted to reduce my risk of bleeding and I wanted to understand what was natural and normal and right for me and my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, at first I kind of tried to hold him in one hand and and sort of figure out the placenta situation with the other and was like, okay, I, some people can handle that. I'm not one of those people. Um, and so I placed him down next to me um, and um, that and kind of got myself into a good position and I could feel that it had not descended. So I kind of stayed there for another couple contractions. Um, but then it was very clear. Like I was like, oh, that's what it feels like when it comes down. Well, there was no question. Like I could tell. And then um, I was like, it is ready to come out. And so I just sort of stood up not, I didn't stand up. I got up on my knees. So I was a little more upright. And then I just used the cord to sort of shift the angle just a little bit. I didn't pull is not the right word, but I, there was some 
pull, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better word, just to kind of figure out where it was and what was going on. And then it just came right out, right into a bowl that Olivia handed me. Um, and I was like so proud of myself in that moment. <laughs> I was like, look, I did it. <laughs> and um, and, I, and I, I was like, I completed it myself. Look at that. And uh, then I had a baby and I had a placenta next to each other. And I was just, they were just so pretty. And I was like, look at that, Yuli. You get to stay attached to your placenta until we just decide to take it out. This is so cool. Um, and I guess he didn't have a name yet at that point, but baby. We, we were calling him baby boy. Um, and um, then uh, we kind of awkwardly um, crawled up onto the sofa Um because uh, Addie, the three-year-old, was still asleep in the bed, and I did not want to wake her up. Um, I wanted this time to be quiet and as uninterrupted as possible, and so I did not go to bed. I sat on the sofa and um, kind of arranged the bowl with the placenta and the baby, and we nursed, and he was so good at it. Like, my other two, like, it was sort of an ordeal at first, especially the first one, but really Addie, too. Um, but he was just like, okay, this is what we're doing. And he, he did, he kind of even did like a little mini breast crawl and figured out how to turn his head and latch on. And like, I could actually tell he was swallowing and getting something. And I was like, this is amazing. This is so easy. Mm -hmm. Is it always supposed to be like this? Is this what it's like when nobody messes with you? This is incredible. Um, he's still, wasn't opening his eyes though, which I thought was really weird. Like I was like, why is this baby who is happily nursing and do like doing great, not opening his eyes. Um, and, um, and his face was still a funny color. Um, and so after that, um, he had, he had some pee, he had some poop. We were like, Oh, all the things are happening. But of course now I'm like covered in blood and pee and poop and amniotic fluid. <laughs> Um, and I'm kind of over it. <laughs> and um, just then the three-year-old decides to wake up and come out and see what's going on and look at the baby. And I was like, perfect timing. We are so moving into the bed. Um, and the, I had the coated the couch in plastic. So this plastic, wet plastic is like sticking to me as gross. Um, so I kind of rinsed off and moved into the bedroom and um, made myself comfortable and we decided to go ahead and cut the cord and um, Ian Ian cut the cord um, and by then it was like limp and white and past being any particular use um, other than it being really cool. I um, took a took a picture before we did that um, on a chucks pad so that I could remember how cool it was to kind of leave it on and it, and I actually looked back and it was I mean, we were well over an hour by this point. We may have even been at, actually, we were at over two hours. So the placenta stayed attached for over two hours mm. um, by the time we actually did all this. And um, then uh, we put the placenta in a bag because Olivia was going to go process it for me and turn it into some stuff. And uh, then we went ahead and looked at my perineum and I did have a couple of tears. Apparently my body much prefers water birth over land birth. Mm. <laughs> so there was a little bit of perineal trauma. Um, not nothing bad though. And I declined stitches. I did it. Didn't feel like it was bad enough. I needed stitches. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then, then things, this is kind of where 
where the golden hours end and things got harder. Um, with my first two births, this was actually my absolute favorite part. This is the part where I put on a nice, cute, easy to nurse in nightgown and I, or nothing and curl up in bed and take a nap with my new baby. And those have absolutely been my favorite parts of home births, that there is no people constantly checking on you. You're not hooked up to anything. You're in your own, you're not in some strange bed in a cold room. You don't transfer from one birth suite into a recovery suite or some bullshit. You just go to bed. This is absolutely why I want a home birth. Yeah, <laughs> That's what totally. sold me. Yeah. Um, and this time we just kept noticing that while he looked mostly okay, his face was, I mean, was not the same color as his body. Mm. It was a little gray. Um, and he, even though he'd nursed fine, he seemed a little off. Um, and my mom being a labor and delivery nurse and Olivia being a birth worker, both noticed that maybe he had a little bit more like chest movement. I don't know that I would have picked up on that. Um, then they would have liked, um, he still wasn't opening his eyes and his color was a little weird. Mm -hmm. So we tried doing just like, okay, let's just do some skin to skin and see if he normalizes. And so we stretched him out. I didn't put a nightgown on. I was still naked. Just stretched him out on my tummy and um, he wanted to sleep. So we kind of tried to let him sleep a little bit, but he seemed to it actually seemed to get worse when he tried to sleep and relax. Mm -hmm. So then we were like, okay, maybe he just needs to open up those lungs a little bit. He hadn't cried like basically at all other than <laughs> he hadn't really cried at all. Mm -hmm. um, and actually my first one didn't cry at all either. And so to me, that wasn't that weird. Yeah. Um, but combined with other things it was a little like maybe you just need a good cry right. um and so olivia took him and kind of she did a couple breaths into his nose to see if he seemed to open up something um and he didn't like that but even then he was still like <laughs> and um then we had decided to hand him to ian and ian took him for a walk like Let's stimulate the baby. Let's put him in the sun. You can go outside. He went outside for the first time, got some sunshine, some wind, um, some daddy skin to skin. Like, what can we do to, I don't know, jumpstart something? Mm -hmm. um, and then I was like, this doesn't feel right. This feels like bad. Like, I just want to hold him. I want him on me. So then we tried that. We tried, let's, let's, let's just kind of cuddle him for a while and, and I'll stimulate him. And I rubbed him all over and gave him like a baby massage and, I kind of pinched his feet a little bit and, you know, until he would kind of kick back at me, um, still not crying. Um, and now he's actually really kind of tired and I'm like, okay, are you just tired? Cause we're, you literally were just born and everybody's been messing with you and you got a nice full colostrum meal and you're just ready for sleep. Or are you lethargic? Mm. Um, and the long, the longer this went on, the more it didn't feel good. And I basically realized at one point that even though I was exhausted and I wanted to take a nap, I actually couldn't relax enough to nap. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely like a, this is not right. Um, we're going to have to do something different. 
Uh, that was really hard. That was not the hardest part because I didn't know what was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really hard because I knew I was giving up a lot. Um, I was giving up my favorite part. I was giving up the part where I just effortlessly curl up with my baby, which is the, what I wanted the most. Um, and my mom, God bless her. Um, I mean, she was kind of right, but she had really, I could tell she had switched into nurse brain Mm -hmm. and, um, I kind of wish she'd switched into grandma brain, but when you're in that, when you've got the training, that's where you go. Mm -hmm. Um, and she kept saying, I just wish we had oxygen. Mm. Um, cause you know, she was a labor and delivery nurse where there's literally an oxygen port on every wall. You just reach for the oxygen. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's, (laughs) I'm an ER vet. I also am used to just being able to reach for the oxygen. Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't have that at your house. Um, and Olivia, I could tell that she was feeling some pressure. Um, and, uh, And she got a little bit defensive and she was like, well, I'm not allowed to carry oxygen. I mean, it's literally like I could go to jail if I carry oxygen. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this, the whole energy had just really shifted. Mm. Um, And Ian was distracted somewhat by Addie. Now that Addie was awake, the Mm -hmm. three-year-old and she was like demanding all the things like I, you know, I need a diaper and I need a snack and can I watch TV and all the things. Um, but he's also trying to, trying to be with me because clearly there's some decisions that need to be made, but he also felt like he was like the least, um, person, the least person on the list to make a decision out of like everybody in the household. He felt like he knew the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so he really was kind of like, uh, what are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? But he, he really didn't want to do anything. And I really felt like we needed to. Um, but I, so I, I made the decision sort of unilaterally that it was time, time to go find a professional. Um, and originally our plan had been, you know, in the case of emergency transport, if we're transporting for the purpose of baby, that we would go to the big medical center nearby with the NICU. Mm-hmm. But actually, in that moment, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that. Because as soon as you walk through the doors in a place that has a NICU, they're going to assume that you have a baby that needs a NICU. Mm-hmm. And I am not convinced I have a baby that needs a NICU. Yeah. Um. So I actually chose to go to the county hospital. Um, They had just opened literally the month before a brand new labor and delivery ward um, with some uh, medical midwives on staff. Mm -hmm. And um, while that's not necessarily an environment supportive of, you know, unattended home birth, (laughs) it is potentially an environment that since they don't even have a NICU, maybe will not immediately pathologize everything. Maybe. 
Maybe. So that's where we decided to go. And then the whole conversation had to come up who's going to come and who's not. And we decided that Olivia would take me and um, Ian would stay home with the kids, um, mostly because of Addie, because Addie was three and acting like a toddler and really emotionally intense and would not let Nana or grandpa touch her. Mm. Um, and I, neither one of us felt comfortable leaving her in an environment where literally she wouldn't let anyone touch her. Right. Uh, also Ian has a lot of anxiety around meds, medical situations. I mean like a lot. And I wasn't sure. Actually I knew, I knew outright. I could not support him emotionally while going through this. Yeah. Um, so I kind of felt like I was better off with by myself or with, I was hoping with Olivia. Um, and I knew that she had done plenty of, of a doula work within hospitals and it was an environment she was comfortable in. Um, so we went to the county hospital um, and that was a really interesting experience. Um, it wasn't bad. Um, I mean, things got, things got weird and bad, but not because of that. Um, so we were clearly the first experience they had with an infant who needed intervention of any kind. <laughs> Because it was brand new. They were literally training staff as we were doing stuff. Mm -hmm. um, oh, like literally no one knew how to turn on or adjust the oxygen level on this like, you know, fancy $40,000 right. NICU bed thing oh, that they had. Um, and nobody knew like what the appropriate percentage of oxygen was. Like literally I was like, hey, look, um, I use 45% as veterinarian. You should probably start there. Like it was mm -hmm. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we go, we get there and they, we walk through the door holding a newborn. Of course, I mean, the, whoever the COVID test guy was, didn't know that what anything, but they were like, okay, head over there to triage. So we head over there to this lady in this office and she's like, what's going on? I said, I have a four hour old baby who has poor color. Um, and she it was kind of like, okay, well, it's going to be a wait for the doctor. And I was like, <clears throat> I have a four hour old. And then I, I, I knew the word to use. I said, blue baby. And she sits up she's like, oh, how old? And she pushes the intercom and just says into the intercom, blue baby. Wow. <sighs> I was like, well, I mean, I wanted the response and not the waiting room. However, I was like, oh, God, what's about to happen? Um, three people come running down the hall breathlessly. <gasps> Where's the baby? Um, <laughs> um, Olivia was like, he's breathing. He is OK. He has never stopped breathing. He is OK. <laughs> Fortunately, no one tried to take him out of my arms or anything. Um, and they did powwow amongst themselves for a second and then say, okay, we're going to take you straight to labor and delivery. Um, so they walked us down the hall and they, I, I say walk, that was inappropriate. They all took off running. Here I am four hours after having a baby. I'm like, I'm not running. I am not running down the hall. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so I meander slowly down the hall, <laughs> holding my baby, um, who I will say, I'm laughing about it now, but that's definitely a stress response. Um, he was really not looking good. Um, he was much limper. He wasn't limp, but he was way more open and relaxed than you're used to a newborn being by this point. And he had not been like that when he was born. He'd been nice and tight when he was born, like they should be. Um, and I was like, this was the right call. Something is not going right here. Mm. Um, and uh, so we get down there and, and like I said, they didn't even know how to turn on the freaking bed and they're trying to hook him up to an oxygen cannula and they're measuring his pulse ox and his pulse ox was, in the 80s, which it, I know that not everybody knows what that means, but it's supposed to be 99 or 100. Mm -hmm. So if it's in the 80s, it's not just low, it's bad. Mm. Um, and so, and it took this, and that's one of the reasons I got frustrated because I was like, he needs the oxygen and they don't even freaking know how to turn the machine on. Um, but they did eventually get an oxygen cannula going on and started hooking up they didn't have any needles at this point but they started hooking up other little leads and stuff so they could figure out why he wasn't oxygenating well and what they could do about it um and a doctor came in and um she first asked me kind of what was going on and i gave her the short version um but then also I specifically mentioned, and I was very intentional about this, that I am an emergency veterinarian and could she please use very specific language with me? And um, she, she did. She kind of immediately, I mean, she was being respectful in any way, but she kind of immediately switched into using professional language. And I, I personally found that very helpful. I, I don't know if everybody would, but to me, it, it allowed for a level of precision in our communication right. that um, allowed me to understand why they were making recommendations and decisions the way they were. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could tell that she sort of st took stock of the situation and kind of sized up Olivia and completely knew who we were and what this was about. Like she was, I'm, I am sure she was under no illusions that I had a truly unattended birth. Um, and she asked Olivia a lot of very specific questions that you would ask a midwife. Mm. Um, but in a very non-judgmental way, actually, like she was just trying to get the information so that she could understand the situation. Um, and um, I really appreciate her. Apparently she was from that bigger um, institution um, and this little county hospital was sort of a subsidiary and she was there to do training. And so she was very knowledgeable about labor and delivery and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, it was nice that she didn't immediately assume things. But I also will say that I think maybe she was familiar enough with people who choose to birth outside of a system that she, and I don't know at all what her experience was, but that she um, asked me really every step along the way, what I was okay with and what I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, 
almost as if she thought I really might just pick that baby up and walk out the door. Um, which I might have. So that was good that she did that. Um, because if I had felt threatened at any time, I would have left. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there would be consequences to that. And that is one of the, I mean, that's, that was, you know, the big thing is it, once I go into this, I can't just walk out. Right. Um, so um, I knew that there are two big three, there's three, what we call a differential list. There's three things on the differential list for what could be going on for the most part. Mm-hmm. One is, and the most common one is what's called a delayed transition, which is just that it's taking longer for this baby to figure out circulation and oxygenation. Mm-hmm. And all he really needs is a little bit of support and he'll be fine. This is the most likely scenario mm-hmm. and the most benign one. Um, and all he needs is oxygen. Right. Uh, the other two scenarios are that he has a heart defect um, or that he has something like pneumonia. And um, pneumonia is the most scary of those in that if you have an infant basically born with it, it could be a big deal. I mean, like really life-threatening mm-hmm. um, and fast, life-threatening fast. Um, now, I hadn't had any cervical checks except the few I had done on myself. I mean, and it was like three total. Mm-hmm. Um, my water broke, I mean, like as he was coming out basically. Mm-hmm. So it's not like my waters were open for, you know, 48 hours or something. Um they were clear. They didn't even have meconium in them. Um, so he was pretty low on the likelihood for having an infection. Um, but I'll be honest, I am not a neonatal specialist of any kind. I don't actually know what, like, how do you know, no, aside from doing like crappy blood cultures, which take three days to grow. Mm. How do you know? Um, and uh, so, and and at first, his he he didn't seem to be oxygenating evenly. Like some parts of his body were doing better than others, and so there was a question about whether this could be heart related. And so, what I said, of course, is I want some diagnostics. I want some answers. That's literally, I want the oxygen. But now I want to know what's going on so we can make some decisions. And what she told me, unfortunately, was that they didn't have the ability to do those diagnostics at that hospital. They were really a very just maternity and labor and delivery they didn't do any kind of other stuff um and so we were gonna have to transfer him to a facility that had a NICU Mm -hmm. um and at first I was kind of like okay then that's what we'll do because I want the diagnostics and then she explained it's really not that simple um there's like a special transport person that has to like come with the special NICU transport thing. You can't just use any paramedic for that. Mm-hmm. And they're like specialist paramedics or something. Mm-hmm. And um, he would be a patient, but I wouldn't be a patient, which was what I wanted. Cause I didn't want all these stuff on me. Um, but that means that technically I wasn't supposed to be transporting with him. Um, 
And it would mean that I wouldn't have a hospital bed at the other end. Mm. Um, and I was like, what? Um, but an Olivia kind of freaked out at that point. She's like, uh, hell no, she's not going, that baby's not going anywhere without her. And I will say that she stepped into that birth keeper advocacy role. Like she was going, she was going to the mat for me. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, that is unacceptable. (laughs) Um, and, uh, the, the doctor, I mean, I could see that she didn't want to tell me this. Like she, I, she was like, this is not going to go well. Um, and so she was like, so we're going to, so it's going to take like 45 minutes for the transport team to even get here. So let's, let's see what I can do. And she got on the phone, um, like literally could like see her. She was in the hallway on the phone, um, with the big hospital we would be transferring to. And basically, I don't know, I don't know who she talked to or what she said, but she arranged for me to have a room in the hospital in the NICU ward. Um, apparently they have a couple of, of these available. Um, and she arranged for me to get one. Um, she also arranged for me to have someone help me when we got there. Um, since I had just had a baby, which was nice without me being a patient. Um, and, but she couldn't, she said she couldn't negotiate to get me on the ambulance with the baby and and I was still like I I'll just take him myself if that's the option I mean I want him to have the oxygen but it's not a long ride and I would rather take him myself Mm -hmm. um and you could tell they were they kind of were like "Mm, uh, we don't like that option and I was kind of like well I don't like your option um and so when the transport team got there, um, she told them the, what was going on. Like she sat there in the hallway um, and talked to them while I was trying to get Yuli to nurse again. I mean, he wouldn't nurse. He was super floppy and you could tell he was kind of in that newborn shock thing that they do where when things get overwhelming, they just sort of shut down and go to sleep. Um. And, um, his oxygen numbers were really good by this point though. The oxygen had had really helped. Um, uh, but, um, they came to me and they talked to me and they basically explained that the only, literally the only seat that they would have available was this like jump seat in this like big rig style cab. So I wouldn't even be in the same compartment as the baby. And I would have to climb up there and then get out myself. And then I would have to, because they couldn't help me, I would have to walk the entire length of the hospital by myself um, and carry all my own stuff. Um, And um, I knew I physically couldn't do it. I mean, maybe in the moment the adrenaline would have kicked in and I could have done it, but I don't know. Mm. And I didn't want to end up a patient myself. I knew I needed to be there for him. Mm. So, um, I had a good cry and, um, 
and I let them take him in their big fancy NICU thing so he could have oxygen. And Olivia drove me to the hospital. And at the big hospital, they wouldn't let her come in with me. So I was completely on my own at this point. Um, and um, had to go through the stupid COVID check-in and wear the double mask. And some a nice person with a wheelchair took me up to the NICU. Um, and um, he got there just a little bit before I did. Um, I mean, really not long before I did it all. I actually literally saw the ambulance pull into the parking lot as we were pulling up. Um, but they were faster than me. Um, and uh, by the time I got to where, like, I guess bedside is what that would be termed. Um, there were a dozen, and I am not kidding, a dozen people surrounding that bed. It was a whole other level of intensity. And I'm actually really glad we didn't go there first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh God, I completely forgot to mention that, uh, oh, that this is the, this was so important and such a crappy part of it. Um, when the doctor and I were talking about the differentials list and the fact that we were going to have to go to this big hospital to get the differential, I mean, to get the diagnostics mm-hmm. to figure out whether this was heart or whether this was lung or whether this was benign, um, she told me, she said, you know, just, I mean, realistically, it's going to be hours until they do these diagnostics hours. If this is pneumonia, we might not have hours to start treatment. We, we would need to start as fast as possible. And I was like, I really want diagnostics before starting antibiotics. I really don't want to destroy his gut if he doesn't have pneumonia. And uh, I worked really hard (laughs) to maintain healthy bacteria to populate his gut healthy. Um, And um, she's like, I understand. I I mean, and then she just kind of paused. Like she didn't say, but you should do it. She was just kind of like, it's going to be hours until, you know, and, um, and she said, and they're recommending that we do antibiotics immediately. Um, and I was like, Oh, I mean, it was hard. I was like, why can't I just get diagnostics now? Like I was really frustrated, but I mean, I could, I mean, I could see the writing on the wall. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, by the time you wait for the transport to get there and the transport gets there and you go to the other place and they order the tests and then they, they have like mobile equipment and move it from one place to another around the hospital. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, they're probably gonna have to call some kind of cardiac specialist in or some crap. I was like, I can see how this is going to play out. (sighs) And so um, I consented to antibiotics. And, uh, that, I mean, if you know what you, everything, then you can say that was a mistake because I know how things ended in the end, but you don't know in the moment. And that's the whole problem is that I didn't know. Um, and, (laughs) and then they proceeded to try to put in an IV catheter to give these IV antibiotics 
and like four nurses and an anesthesiologist tried to put in this catheter before they could finally get it in. It was so hard to watch. It was so hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I put in catheters in tiny things on a regular basis and I know it is hard and I know it's even harder when someone is watching you. And mm-hmm. so like part of my brain is like, don't watch that closely. It makes them anxious and it's actually going to make it harder to put that in. And part of my brain was, of course, like the mom part of my brain was like, what the fuck? Just get the damn thing in. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it, was, totally. it was a weird schism. I mean, it was weird. Um, and uh, I actually, at that point, did walk away. And Olivia was like, maybe this is a good time to go change out your pad. And I'm like, that's a very good point. Um and, but then she, she told me later that she just about walked up and was like, just give me the catheter. <laughs> it was, it was really hard to watch them struggle with this freaking catheter. Um, and finally the anesthesiologist got it in. Um, but it was like a weird positional ankle one. And they were like, I don't know if it's going to hold, but they started him on antibiotics before we even left that, that, that first hospital. And so he actually got them during his transport. Um, And so we get to the other hospital and he's already had his first dose of antibiotics and we haven't even had any diagnostics. And by now it's six o'clock at night. So he's been out of me for uh, about 10 hours. And and, uh, he gets evaluated by God only knows how many people like, I know a resident and an attending and a first and second and third year intern and a student and a nurse. And it was, there was a ridiculous number of people. Um, And then like five people introduce themselves to me and I don't remember any of them. And one person starts talking who I guess is the uh, resident, not that, not that any of that matters, but, um, and he was very polite and he treated me very respectfully. And I did emphasize again that I was a veterinarian and, um, he also kind of used very specific professional language, but it was also very clear that my input was not really needed at this point from his perspective. Um, he was just going to kind of do what he wanted to do and what he felt like was the next step in the usual process. And we were a cog in the system. Mm. Um, and kind of even, I, I will say it was interesting walking into that space because at first I was on the periphery because everybody was already there when I walked into the room, but kind of one by one, as people realized oh, the mom is here. It was like the, the seas parted and they all just stepped aside and somebody got me a chair and they, I sat down right next to him. And, um, I, I reached out my hand, um, and put it on Yuli's, um, at the time we were still calling him baby boy on his head. And he still hadn't opened his eyes, but he turned his head towards my hand towards that smell because you know that was his safe place and um I was so grateful in that moment that we had had four four hours 
where he was just mine. Where he had had a chance to lay on my chest and hear my heartbeat and to nurse with nobody messing with him. And I was so grateful that he had all of his cord blood and that he knew that I was his safe place amongst this. Um, and um, it's one of the reasons I am still such a strong, strong advocate for undisturbed birth. Because even if a baby needs something more, the closer you can get to giving them that right start that what they're what we are all as humans wired deeply in our core to need and want mm -hmm. the better you are set up for whatever comes next yes. and if you know if he'd been born in the hospital and they had been constantly checking his oxygenation status and his color and whisked him away he would not have had any of that. Mm -hmm. um, but he got four hours with me before all this happened. And that was such a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, so I uh, was in a really weird place where I felt like I needed to be recognized as an intelligent, knowledgeable person whose opinion needs to be respected and matters in this situation. And so that felt like I needed to be a professional mm -hmm. while at the same time, I need to be seen a little bit as a slightly crazy mom who needs to be coddled to and might do something you don't like at any moment. And so you had better damn well ask her permission. Um, and that was a really, <laughs> a really weird line to, um, to figure out how to, how do you thread that needle? I don't know. Um, it, it required me to be far more in my logical brain than my postpartum hormonal and mental status and body really would allow. Um, and, uh, oh God, it was, and I was aware of it. I was like, my brain is so full of hormones and oxytocin right now. Like literally I could just sort of melt to the floor and curl up with a stuffed animal and sleep right here. And on the other hand, I'm like, focus, <laughs> like, you have to advocate, be present. Like, um, it was so weird. Um, I mean, I completely understand how all of these scenarios that I hear playing out happen of people who birth in hospitals. And as someone who's never birthed in a hospital, um, I, I didn't really quite understand that. Um, and I mean, I still don't quite understand it. I've not, I've not done it, but I had a much more clear grasp of how all these things you don't really want to happen, happen. I mean, because your brain is designed for you to just lay there with your baby and bond and recover. Mm -hmm. Your brain is not designed to have to go fight for something at this point. Right. Um, 
it's so unnatural. Um, so, uh, this, uh, this very polite, uh, resident explains to me that Yuli actually looks really good. Um, and there's three possibilities of what it could be. And we already talked about them. And, um, but at this point, he's got the antibiotics on board and he's breathing great and he doesn't really even need the oxygen anymore. And so they actually turned off the oxygen and um, he's like, so I think we're just going to hold off on those diagnostics. And I was like, you are. And I thought that's kind of why we were here. Like literally, literally that's why I'm here is because I want diagnostics. And he said, well, we've got the blood cultures pending. Um, it takes at least 48 hours for those to come back. Um, so we're just going to give antibiotics until we get the blood cultures back. It's pretty clear. It's not heart defect at this point. Otherwise he wouldn't have responded so well to the oxygen. So we don't really need to follow that up with the cardiologist. And, um, you know, if things get worse, we can do some chest x-rays, but otherwise we're just going to wait out the 48 hours with antibiotics. <laughs> and I was like, um, what it, this, it did not even occur to me until this moment. We're going to be in the hospital for 48 hours. I, I, this, I mean, it literally had not occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know what I thought was going to happen. I thought we were going to do some diagnostics and find out he was fine and he would go home. Um, somebody, I, maybe my mom, I can't even remember who, M Maria, I, somebody who I talked to kind of in the waiting process for all this had said something about maybe he could get a home health nurse and he could get some antibiotics at home. Like it had not occurred to me that we would stay in the hospital for 48 hours. Mm. And at this point, some part of my brain, like, broke a little mm -hmm. and I was just like and I all of a sudden sh shifted my my entire perspective changed so fast I mean like pivoted I was suddenly like this baby is completely normal and we are stuck in the hospital for 48 hours I have to make this as non-damaging as possible mm -hmm. like that be instantly became my goal. Like I was like, I have to figure out how to make this as physiologically functional as possible. And I'm like looking at this weird bed that he's like lying in hooked up to all these things. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? Um, at that point, it actually had not occurred to me to say no and leave. Um, I don't know why. Um, or cause earlier it had earlier it had occurred to me, but at that moment, I think I felt like I was in it. Like we were stuck in it. Um, and maybe I kind of wanted the antibiotics too. And if that was the way I could get the antibiotics, I guess that was okay or not really. Okay. That's not at all. Okay. But like, I still, I still thought, what if this is pneumonia? Um, and so I didn't, I didn't really want to just leave AMA. Um, so it didn't really cross my mind. Um, so I, after I digested that for a minute, I was like, okay, so what about this rooming in thing that this other doctor said I could do? And he said, yeah, there's a room over here. Uh, we can get you set up there. Um, and they said I could have one person come into the hospital with me. Um, 
but that it could, it couldn't be like a different person every day. Like it could, you couldn't trade out. So it's not like my mom could come and then she could leave and then Ian could come and she could leave and then Olivia could come visit and she could leave. No, no, like one person, that's it. Uh, and so then we had to have a whole conversation about who was coming. Was it going to be Ian or was it going to be my mom? Um, Olivia couldn't do it. You know, like she can't stay there for days. She's got kids and stuff. Um, and, um, Oh God, I wish Maria had been there. I really wish Maria had been there. Um, but like I said, I, I, I knew I couldn't do the emotional support part of having Ian in the hospital with me, even though he would have been physically a good choice for supporting me. Mm-hmm. So we decided that my mom would come. It also seemed at the time like that might be a decent choice because of her previous experience as a labor and delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that it turned out later that that was not particularly helpful that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but having your mom there as your support after you have a baby is not a terrible idea. Um, so um, it took a while for her to get there. I, I basically, after this, um, you know, once I kind of realized that getting him as physiologically a normal experience as possible within the context of this situation meant I needed to be with him as much as my body could handle. Um, And they had this very uncomfortable armchair um, that I sat on in a fully upright position and held him. Um, We tried to nurse a few more times um, and he did, but not well. He kept kind of falling asleep. Um, and he still didn't really cry and he was still kind of limp and sleepy. Um, but he was on an IV line at this point. They had given him dextrose in his IV line cause he looked limp and sleepy. Um, and they were talking about donor milk. Um, and I was kind of okay with that cause he didn't look good. Um, but I also, I mean, I uh, honestly, I was unlike a lot of people who might be in this experience. I did not have fear that my body wouldn't produce milk. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two other kids. My body is great for them. I respond well to a pump. Um, and I had literally been nursing my two-year-old that morning. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't real concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, what I knew I needed was skin to skin to keep stimulating that oxytocin that needed to be going in order to produce colostrum and just transition over to milk. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was less important to separate myself from the baby in order to pump than it was to have the baby baby physically on me. Um, And so I, uh, I was, I did not choose a good outfit. I was wearing a nightgown, but I couldn't like open the front, which was super awkward. Um, so I would sort of tuck him halfway in, <laughs> in it for kind of from like the side. It was really weird. Uh, I was like, I've made a very poor clothing decision <laughs> since I didn't realize what I was getting into. Um, but we, but I had him sort of against my arm. So I had as much skin as possible. And they kept putting, like, they kept putting him in like a little outfit and I kept taking him back out of it. <laughs> Cause like, and they kept putting a hat on him and I kept taking it off. <laughs> we were just such at odds. Like culturally, we were on such opposite extremes. They're like, here's a pump 
go over there and pump. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to stay here with the baby. And they're like, here's a cute outfit. Don't you feel supported and loved with your baby in a cute outfit? No, no, no. I need him naked. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just such a weird mismatch and they did not understand me at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, eventually my mom got there and, and she uh, figured out how to get us a room, which was weird. And we walk into it and there's like a love seat size sofa and a, another chair. And that's all that's in the room. And we're like, uh, what are you supposed to do in this room? It looks like a, I don't know, like a family counselor or something. How do you sleep in here? Um, and someone gave us some sheets and we were like, what do you put the sheets on? Like, it was so weird. Um, and, uh, eventually, you know, I realized I had to sleep cause I, you know, it's part of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed to make milk and I knew I needed to rest to do that. And, um, I asked, I, I asked, okay, so, so how does this rooming in thing work? Um, now that I have a room, can we go into it with the baby? And they're like, oh, well, you'll have to talk about that during rounds tomorrow. And I was like, I was told I could room in. Like mm-hmm. the doctor called in ahead. And, she, and then she's like, well, that is an option, but you'll have to talk about, to the doctor tomorrow during rounds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is so stupid. I'm just going to sit here in this chair all night after I had a baby this morning. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was like, other people in other parts of the hospital have rooms with their babies with them. Why can't I have that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but no, apparently that's not how it works. Once you're in the NICU, it's like they make the rules. Um, and um, so I went and took a nap. It was, I mean, it was pretty short. It was probably like four hours. I, it was the wee hours of the morning when I went in to finally go to sleep. And when I got back up and we never did figure well, not that night, we didn't figure out how in the world you were supposed to sleep in that room. Um, so we could sort of pull out like a part of the sofa. So I literally slept on the equivalent of a love seat and an ottoman mm. that night. I couldn't even stretch out. It was ridiculous. Um, and my mom, you know, my significantly older mother with some pretty significant health issues took like cat naps sitting up straight in that armchair that night. Mm -hmm. It was absurd. Um, the next morning, um, I had, I, a a nap did me a lot of good. I really did. I, I woke up with a renewed sense of clarity and immediately texted my husband a list of things I needed um, so that I could care for myself and um, made a list of things to do for my mom. Like I was like, we need food. I've been living off meal bars for the last day. Uh, I was like, we need food, figure out how to get us food. And I went and talked to the nurse and I was like, all right, I have a list of questions and concerns and I need them addressed immediately. I need to know um, when we can room in. I need to know where I can get food. I need to know um, what the diagnostic results are that we did yesterday. No one ever told me. I need to know, because they did some blood work. Um, I need to know when rounds are um, so that I can be prepared to talk to the doctors. And I need to know where the lactation consultant is. Um, And she was kind of like, oh, um, uh, wow. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, 
so she was actually really helpful. I mean, maybe part of it was that I gave her a very concise, clear list of what I wanted, but she was actually just generally more helpful. And when she found out that we had like slept under those conditions the night before, she was pretty appalled that no one had told us where we could get food or where, how, how to use the freaking bed. And she helped us rearrange the room and we moved a recliner in there and we figured out how to make the bed open up so you could lie on it and how to get food and stuff. And then during rounds, rounds were interesting. I mean, I'd seen rounds on TV and my best friend is an MD. So I'd heard her describe rounds before, but it was quite a production. I mean, if if it wasn't for the fact that my kid was the patient, I would have probably thought it was absolutely fascinating. Um, But like literally this like huge group of people comes in there and like surrounds this little cubby that has me and the baby in it. Um, and I, and like, they tried to sort of not directly face me so that I wouldn't feel like there were eight people staring at me while I was half naked nursing a baby. Um, but that's what it was. Um, and then they also, the way this particular NICU is set up, there's six beds in one room. And so they round on all the patients there at the same time. So there's like six other moms, six other babies at six medical professionals, plus you know, three nurses, all like in this room talking about all the cases at the same time. It was so bizarre to me. Um, and when they got to his different, when they started talking about our case, it was, it was strange. They, they were very guarded in their language. They didn't talk about the fact that he was uh, anything about my pregnancy, anything about the fact that he was like a home birth. They were just sort of like, he was um, born to someone who didn't have a GBS test or an ultrasound. Um, uh, had, and he was uh, 39 plus six. And uh, I mean, it was like the most vague, like they like didn't want to say anything that might piss me off, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was interesting. Um, how, where, where but also, you, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking, where, where, where were you? Because, because this, this was during rounds. So, where were you when this was happening? I mean, were they saying this, like, in your, in the room, as if you weren't there, and they were just talking to each other? Or was this out in the so hall? they, who, yeah, good question. So rounds are really bizarre. So, um, <laughs> what happens is they all walk in there, and they at least the resident and maybe uh, maybe a student who's not completely cowed into submission might kind of say, hi, good morning. How are you doing? Um, and uh, they do that to everybody so that your presence is acknowledged. Um, and then when they talk about your case, they, at least at this particular one, they, they do actually say, let, you know, let us know um, what, how you feel. And they'll even at some point along the way, kind of tell you, or I could tell at least for the, they sort of interpret what they're saying for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So they'll say, so the CPC was unremarkable. And then they'll turn to you and say, the blood work was completely okay. Um, And so they are sort of including you, um, but they're also speaking to themselves. Um, And it's really weird. Um, and, and it's also in case you don't know this, in case you didn't watch scrubs, um, (laughs) um, they, they have the students present as basically part of, I mean, it's hazing is, is what it is. And so you've got this incredibly scared student who's like, the patient is a two day old, eight pound male, 
uh, and he was born at blah 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 time, and and then they and they're super like I don't know what to say, and then they have to come up with a differential list, and then they'll quiz them on the differential list, like oh, wow. while there's twenty people staring at them. I mean, it's so bizarre. It's so yeah. bizarre. Um, but yeah, then they they did let me speak, and and I and and they asked they asked me how I was doing. I mean, mostly in a vague way, but then then the resident completely. I mean, like completely serious says to me, oh, has your milk come in yet? And I'm, I'm literally thinking to myself, it's been 24 hours and the baby has barely nursed. No, my milk has not come in. And that is completely normal. Like whose milk would have come in under these circumstances? And, and he's like, oh, okay, we'll definitely have the lactation consultant come see you. And I'm like, Okay, first of all, I'd already asked for the lactation consultant. But second, they're they're doing it. They're already pathologizing the normal. There is literally nothing wrong. Um, and then um, they, <laughs> so overnight, uh, this is another related topic. Um, and I had technically consented to this, but I thought it was so absurd. I, w- I was consenting to it because I wanted him off the IV line. Um, and so I had agreed that they could bottle feed him um, and um, for, with donor milk specifically. Mm-hmm. And they ordered 50 mLs of fluid. Now, I, 50 mLs is hard to picture in your head if you're not like used to looking at big syringes all day. Um, but it is like a quarter of a cup or something insane right. like that. And he's, yeah. you know, 12 hours old. And I'm pick like in the same hospital. I'm picturing the little bead that the lactation consultants walk around with to remind you how big a newborn stomach is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 50 mLs. Why? Why in God's name does an does a newborn need 50 mLs of fluid? Mm-hmm. That is absurd. Mm-hmm. And then it rounds the next morning. They're like, oh, it looks like he vomited overnight. And I was like, whoa, 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 no. He was given 50 mLs of fluid really freaking fast from a bottle and then spit it all back up. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not vomiting. And, but that's what was on that record. And if I hadn't known better, that he would have been on his record that he was vomiting, which is a whole other level of concern. Right. right. Um, and so it was, it was just like, okay, well, now they're starting to create their own problems and they're pathologizing the normal. Um, and he actually had a whole problem list. There was the, um, the hypoxia, which he came in with. And so on that list was the sepsis watch is what they call it. So they're watching for signs of infection. And I'm like, yes, that is the reason we are here. And then they were like, oh, well, the possibly, you know, not, not maintaining his blood glucose. And I'm like, dubious at best. Um, you know, what is a normal blood glucose in, in a newborn anyway? There's mm-hmm. a lot of debate around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, but he's not really nursing, but the reason he's not nursing is because he's here and you're interfering. Um, and then the third one was possible jaundice. And once again, I'm like, also not a pathology uh, in a breastfed infant in the first 24 hours uh, when they got all of their cord blood. So once again, not a problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, so of the three things, only one of them is like even a possibility. And yet here now I have to like prove that the other two are not problems. 
So um, my goal that day was to nurse him as much as possible. I did specifically ask about doing grooming in. They said, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, okay, so we're going to take him off all this stuff and, and then just like monitor his heart rate or something. And they're like, oh, no, no, all this stuff stays on. And I'm like, I, I have to keep a heart monitor and a pulse ox on him the whole time. Wow. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, how am I supposed to do this? I can't even freaking hardly hold him. I mean, you're like trying to position him to nurse and like, there's like stuff popping off and the nurse has to come back in with her little sticky tape thing and put it back on again. And then the catheter is positional. And so they're like, oh, now we can't get it. So there's like a board on his foot. And I'm like, this is a nightmare. Like, all I want to do is freaking nurse the baby, which is the most natural thing in the world. And he's, he's doing it. He was easier to nurse than the other two babies I already had. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just, it is so ridiculous. And then, uh, and then I talked to four lactation consultants while I was there. Every one of them was like, yeah, you'll probably do fine. I don't think this is a problem. Also, you should be pumping every two hours. And I'm like, I'm not pumping every two hours. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And... I know that that's probably controversial amongst even amongst people who have been like it kind of in this scenario and are really naturally minded. But I, that is so separating to me from my baby. Mm -hmm. I just want to hold the baby. Mm -hmm. That is what is needed. Mm -hmm. My body is not broken. It doesn't need a machine to fix it. Mm -hmm. What I need is the baby. Mm -hmm. um, and it worked great that day. He laid on me and we cuddled and we figured out how to make it work in the recliner, even with all the stupid cords. And the nurse I had that day was completely willing to look the other direction and let me tuck him into bed with me without being like, you're not allowed to be in the bed with the baby. Um, and um, even though she literally had me sign something that said I would not be in the bed with the baby. And then she come back two hours later and I'm in bed with the baby and she's like, completely cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, um, we ate and we cuddled and he nursed, but he kept having low blood sugars, but he was completely normal. Um, but he kept having low blood sugars mm -hmm. and he was peeing and pooping, but he kept having low blood sugars. And I'm like, if you weren't testing the blood sugars, we would think nothing was wrong. But then I was really conflicted because I know a little bit too much. And I'm like, low blood glucose can be a sign of bacterial infection. Uh, it can also be a sign that he's not transferring milk. What if he's not transferring milk? What if he has a bacterial infection? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so then my like brain and my intuition are completely at odds with each other. Um, and it really fucked me up. Like it was really, it was such a mind fuck. Um, and we did that for like the whole day. We just went back and forth with them sticking his heel and causing him pain. And he, he, you could tell he was getting more and more like every time somebody would touch his foot, he would start like shaking. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and they were weirded out by the fact that like what I would and wouldn't do. And we kind of talked about this already, but like culturally we're just so different. Like, I was really upset when they did a sponge bath and I wasn't there for it. Cause you know, I wanted to give him his first bath. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, I didn't care at all about changing diapers. Cause frankly, if it was at, if he was at my house, I would not be changing diapers. Right. Uh, everybody else changes the diapers. 
I stay in the bed with the baby and nurse the baby and then hand him off and someone else changes the diapers and brings him back. And so I didn't care that the nurse was changing the diaper. Um, and so I think they thought I like, didn't want to be involved, but yet I'm, I mean, I don't know. I think they were just really weirded out and didn't know what to think of me, but they also clearly hadn't rounded from one nurse to another that I was like the crazy home birth mom, mm-hmm. because then I would get like, I, I would, they would be really off put when I would, I don't know, say things about how it's much more physiologically normal for me to be holding the baby than for the baby to be in the bed, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, NICU bed. Mm-hmm. Um, with all of its warmy things and lights and buttons. Um, And, um, and I feel like if they had rounded to each other four hours old after having it at home, then I think they would have treated me like they did the first day where it was like kid gloves and like, they need to explain everything and ask permission for everything instead of taking it for granted that I'm going to be okay with them doing stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty clear they didn't round it that way. And so people just sort of kept doing stuff without asking me. And then I get mad about it. Right. Um, and, um, and so it started setting up a dynamic where I didn't trust them at all. Um, but late, late at night that night, I mean, it was really late. Um, the fact that I hadn't really slept in a few days, um, was really catching up with me. And the fact that I've been sitting up in chairs for days on a perineum that was torn was really getting to me. Um, and the fact that I hadn't showered since I'd given birth, um, and the fact that I was eating meal bars and hospital food, um, I was really starting to kind of break a little bit physically. Um, and I also will say that having him on me and nursing him was really like making me simultaneously have this like oxytocin high where I would get like super relaxed and like chill and just be frankly, like almost compliant, like, okay, that sounds great. Um, and it, and so you combine that with being really tired and like, I was not, I was not thinking clearly. I really could have used somebody around like Olivia or Maria who was not really high and really physically damaged to help me make some decisions. Mm-hmm. And I did not have that. And that night he nursed really well and then still had a low blood glucose. And somehow or another, via a nurse I didn't like and didn't trust at all, I let her talk me into handing him over so he could get some dextrose through an IV line. And while I napped. Um... And I, I was concerned that if he wasn't transferring milk or his blood glucose was low, that it meant something bad. And so I, I consented to that, but what it didn't occur to me to ask more questions. And that's the problem. Um, I also consented to like one bottle and the dextrose and that's it. And then I was going to be up with him in the morning by the time he got his next dose of antibiotics and it would be time to nurse again. Mm-hmm. And I would be a little bit more rested and a little bit more coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's kind of what happened from my perspective. I took a nap and then um, I woke up and I did a sits bath and I had a bunch of herbs from home and I did some care on my perineum and felt like had a cup of coffee and felt kind of like, okay, I'm ready to, to do this day. Hopefully this is our last day and then we're going home. So I walk from the place where we were rooming in back into the main NICU and um, baby boy Yuli was lying there on the NICU bed completely like unconscious, like spread out flat on his back. Mm. Um, and I mean, that was startling. Right. And then I realized he had a catheter in his head. Um, and someone saw the look on my face and immediately explained that, um, when they tried to give the dextrose infusion, um, a few hours before they'd realized that the catheter in his foot had, wasn't working anymore. Um, and so they'd given him a bottle and then they'd changed out his catheter and the process of placing that catheter had been really hard on him and that he had exhausted himself crying and fallen asleep. Mm. And I, I mean, I was really sad and upset that I wasn't there for him, but actually I was angry. I was livid. I had to hold myself back from like starting to just yell at people. Um, I had not consented to a bottle. I had not consented to having his catheter replaced. I wanted to be there for him if they had had to do those things. And they did not even think to ask me. Um, and I, I was really silent because I, um, I went a little bit into, you know, fight, flight, freeze and freeze was my, was where I went in that moment. Um, but I also wanted to be able to craft a response that wouldn't get CPS called, that wouldn't get me kicked out of the hospital. Um, and that, that might get me what I wanted, um, which was them to stop fucking it all up. Right. Um, and so instead I sat back in that uncomfortable chair and I put him back on my body and I took off his clothes again and I opened up my shirt and just let my like breast just like hang out so that they were like surrounding him kind of I have fairly big boobs. Um, and um, then I wrapped us both up in a, in a sheet and um, basically just told anybody that if they needed anything that they could do what they needed to do while he was on me, I was not putting him back down. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, 
we sat there for hours until finally rounds happened. And by the time that had happened, I'd, I'd been able to think more clearly, or at least clear enough. And I'd been Googling, and I'd been texting my friends, uh, one of who is a lactation consultant and is pretty familiar with how these things work in hospitals. Um, and I, I was seriously considering leaving AMA. Um, I didn't really want to, cause I didn't want to invite CPS into my life. One thing I haven't even gotten into is the whole conversation I had with a social worker while we were there. Apparently it's standard procedure and Nick used to have everybody talk to a social worker, but as somebody who had home birthed with, and technically legally from a legal standpoint was unattended, I was particularly interesting to a social worker. Um, and, um, it's only because I'm really good at being a chameleon and putting on my, I'm a professional. I have a lot of college degrees hat um, that I think I managed to stay off her, her concern list, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's a whole other thing. But um, I, I mean, I knew what the risk of being AMA was like, it would be inviting a lot of trouble into my life. But I also realized that we had reached the end of where this had any possible therapeutic value. Mm -hmm. Even if he had an infection, which it was very clear by this point at 48 hours, it wasn't quite 48 hours, but close to it, that he did not have an infection. This was a completely normal baby. He had needed some oxygen support in the beginning But by this point, he had been off of oxygen for well over 24 hours, like 36 hours. We did not need to be there. There was nothing that was keeping us there except their comfort level. Um, And they were really messing him up. Um, And I I decided I was going to start using logic. I was just going to make my case during rounds. And if they pushed back, then I would just tell them we are leaving. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anybody that this was my plan because I didn't want anyone to talk me out of it. Um, But fortunately, when it came to rounds, they, (laughs) I learned something new, uh, which even added to it. Um, But they, they said that they'd been concerned about some blood glucose and that overnight he had um, received a dextrose infusion. And then they actually said, even with me present, which isn't really our standard protocol. Normally we would offer a bottle at that point. Um, but uh, that was what happened and he did fine. And so now we're sending him home. And so like simultaneously in two breaths, I'm like, <clears throat> it wasn't even their fucking protocol to do this. Oh my God. Some overnight intern screwed this up and they're basically just trying to cover their ass by sending him home before I get mad. Um, but they're sending him home without me having to argue about it and without doing AMA. And so I was just like, okay, great. We're doing that. Let's move. I'll move on. Mm -hmm. And, um, Things were very expedited at that point. They wanted to do a hearing test on him and they wanted me to talk to, I don't remember, somebody before I left. Um, 
And so we did those things like super fast. Like I was impressed how fast they managed to make that happen. And literally the only holdup was me and my mom trying to get a ride because we had to like wait on Ian to come or Olivia, actually Olivia had to come get us because Ian couldn't come get us because that's a whole other story. When my dad was desperately trying to fill that bath, that tub for me, he spilled hot water on his foot and had a burn and had to go to the ER and have a burn managed. So Ian had to take my dad to the ER. I know, right? God bless him. He was trying so hard. Um, And so Ian was stuck at the ER with my dad and couldn't come get us. And so we had to wait for Olivia. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) the only holdup for us getting out of there was Olivia having to figure out a car seat situation that would pass their muster. But fortunately, she has kids. And so she found a car seat (laughs) that would hold a newborn and came and got us as fast as she could. And and we left that hospital. And... (sighs) as the attending was checking us out going over the discharge instructions, she looked me dead in the eye and she said, there is nothing wrong with supplementing with formula. It is more important that your baby eat enough and eat consistently than that you exclusively breastfeed. It is okay to do that. And I nodded at her. And did my best to not look like I wanted to murder her. Mm. (laughs) But like in my head, I'm like, you expect everyone to fail. Right. You expect everything to be pathology. Mm -hmm. And you set people up to have no faith in themselves and their babies. Mm -hmm. And I I was talking to Maria about it later and she's like, can you imagine being a first time mom and having them say that to you? You would just feel like giving up right then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, (coughs) and it just, it just clarified so much shit for me about how, how right it was that even back before I ever was pregnant, I knew I wasn't going into that world unless I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just even more messed up than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the, and then of course that brings up all of the, like the, so did I do the right thing by taking him in? Did I over pathologize <laughs> because I have this medical background and I didn't trust my own intuition to say, Hey, this is delayed transition and he'll be okay. What would have happened if I had just done AMA way back on day one, would we be happily at home and not dealing with all this shit? Um, or would we be dealing with CPS? Yeah. I, I don't know. Right. Um, and in that moment, I feel like for, just anyone I feel like you know especially when there is something you know whether it's in the immediate postpartum in you know whenever I feel like it is kind of one of those situations where you know despite whatever happened whatever ends up happening it's like there's that moment of just like okay what is what is my intuition or my gut or my heart whatever it is what what is that what is that saying and in that moment, it doesn't matter, at least, at least this is my, my um, two cents about it. It doesn't matter what ends up happening. It's in that moment, what, 
what you decide to do and what is right to you in that moment. And so, you know, yeah. in that moment, you made that right, you made the right thing, what was right to you, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. And, um, yeah. And I'll say that it, well, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I'll kind of shorten this a little bit cause I just want to have a minute to talk yeah. about postpartum, but, um, but yeah, we went home and he nursed that afternoon and he's never looked back and he's done great. Awesome. Awesome. Literally the only thing that was wrong was them fucking it all up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, totally. Uh, so a, a couple notes. Um, the bruising on his head um, as it evolved over the next few days was really clearly focused right in the middle of his forehead. Um, and he had really significant, um, like it's called scleral hemorrhaging, um, which is where the little tiny blood vessels around the eyes actually burst from pressure. Mm. Um, and he had petechia, which are like little tiny dots where there's been blood vessel breaks under the skin. Um, and so he had some pretty major trauma to the front of his head. And I'm actually wondering whether the really weird prolonged labor that I had was because he was a face first presentation and was just not fitting. Mm. Um, and whether that did or did not contribute to his delayed transition, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it does make me very much think that um, that was what went on with why his labor was the way it was. It's really, and that kind of scares me because Maria pointed out that if I'd been with a licensed midwife and we knew I was dilating, which of course you can always choose not to have checks, but if we knew I was dilating and I'd been in labor for days, that 100% would have been like a, hey, we need to get things going. And if he was malpositioned and we had tried to induce labor, even with natural methods and um, he that really could have led to even more fetal distress. Right. And if I was in a hospital, absolutely would have led to a C-section for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really sobering to think about kind of in hindsight. I'm really glad that I trusted and let things go the way they did. Um, but I also kind of then say, well, I mean, that could be part of his delayed transition too. If he had all this crazy pressure on the front of his head and his neck for days on end, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just kind of a side note. And then he did finally open his eyes and look at me. Um, and uh, it was amazing because I really was like the first thing he saw because um, I was so diligent about being present with him in the NICU. Um, and when we got home, everything went great. And, um, he, you know, all these, <laughs> all these lessons that he's teaching me, um, with each of my children, I, I've basically completely rewritten my entire life with the birth of each child, <laughs> which is another reason I, I would be really hesitant to have another one. I'm like, I don't know how many more times I can entirely recreate my life. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, I have um, spent so much time trying to understand where as a, as a medical professional and as a mom and as a person in the world, how do I find a way to utilize my intellect 
and also exist with my intuition. And the exploration of that has been really profound and has allowed me to really step into some incredibly open authenticity um, and has actually even opened some doors for me because I was willing to look for those doors Mm -hmm. in ways that I have never been before. Um, Yulin, Yulin Hawthorne um, is now three and a half months old. And uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, no, it was last week, like last week, um, I got a message from a client uh, about something that was pretty um, profound and emotional for her with her pet. And uh, it was a beautiful letter that she'd written me. And um, I turned to Yuli, my, my baby, and I said, you brought me this, didn't you? You brought me this ability to like feel into decisions and know what is right in a different way than I was capable of before. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, it just, I just feel so humbled. And so my, my COVID baby who was completely conceived because I lost track of all of my ability to function (laughs) last summer, um, has really brought me like profound inner knowing. And, um, that's just such a, I mean, it's such a gift. It's an under an understatement. Emily, thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you so much. Um, <coughs> thank you so much. I loved, I loved falling down all of these rabbit holes, and I love, <laughs> I love, I love the, I love the picture that you painted with everything, and just like I, I, I really. I, I don't want to say that like I felt I mean in a small way just because you were so detailed I felt like I was there in some circumstance I was just like oh my goodness like this is like I, I love like this is such a really big story and there is no way that you could have left any little bit of this out because it just completely encapsulates it's so important and like all of these little threads they just weave together and it just creates this tapestry of what is Yuli's story what is your story and it was so I'm so honored that you um that you um allowed me to do this that you allowed allowed me to record you I really appreciate that thank you so much thank you thank you for uh giving me a chance because um it's really, it's uh, the big story should be told, and sometimes yeah. it's hard to find a way to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. And is there anything, any last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? I just, um, I just want to remind us all that um, remaining open 
like leaving room for our hearts to be soft and open no matter what experience is happening around us is what allows us to change and become more of ourselves. Mm. And that's really hard to do. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. I'm going to sit with that one tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you so much, Emily. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.